thank you, Robin and Ken and everybody singing. Uh, what we're going to do is, um, you know, we, we asked that first question last week about who is the most highest of all created beings. And, of course, we said it was God. And so that's going to lead us to our obvious second question. If or since God is the highest and most uh, preeminent of all beings, then the question is, is what is mankind's highest purpose or what is their end towards God? In other words, then what do we do about that, right? That would be the next question. If, if God is the most highest and preeminent of all beings, then what should be man's response? What would be our, our ultimate response? I mean, we have all kinds of responses like thank you, humility, repentance, and faith. But what would be our ultimate response to that? What would be our ultimate responsibility or purpose? So I'm going to ask the question tonight, and that's it. What is mankind's highest purpose towards God? What is mankind's highest purpose toward God? And tonight, we're only using two texts. I'm going to reference a few other texts. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 31, or I'll read it to you as you follow along. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And remember, we're asking that, que that, that second question. That is, if God is the most and highest preeminent being out of all beings, well, then the second obvious question is, is then what is mankind's purpose towards him what is our our greatest response to that i mean is it beyond just thank you repentance and faith what would the bible say is our greatest response but look at first corinthians chapter uh 10 verse 31 therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of god now there's other verses that probably this one cross-references to, but this was the one that gave me the, the clearest Bible verse to say, basically, our highest purpose or response towards God, who is the greatest and most high of all preeminent of all beings, is to glorify God and, joy, and enjoy Him forever. It's, it's a pretty standard second question to most catechisms that we might be familiar with as Baptistic people or Reformed or, or anything Orthodox. And that was the verse they gave me, first of all, just to prove to us that we are to glorify God. But um, lots of times when we use that word uh, to say we glorify God, what do we mean by that? I mean, what does that look like? That's like me saying we need to pursue a holy life. That sounds real spiritual. It's, it's a fancy word, holy life. Ooh, you know. I remember the first time someone, I was a chaplain, and they said, well, what, what do I call you, Steve? I, I just... Just Steve, by the way, well, you're a chaplain, like, you know, chaplain, you know. I had a guy put me a badge. He spelled it chaplain. I was like, no, that's, that's, no, that's not how it's spelled. So it, it's kind of a romantic word for nothing more than just a spiritual leader that's going to visit somebody, right? And just like the name pastor, I mean, I know it means overseer. I know it means under shepherd and things. But, but one thing you'll find out about me is if you call me Pastor Steve, that's fine. If you call me Steve, you can call me Pastor uh, I was like, I told somebody one time, just don't call me late for supper, right? I mean, you know, uh, and, and don't call me Mr. Holstein. I'll say, no, he died December 1st, 2016. That was my daddy, you know. And so the thing is, is when we, when we say we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever, that is obviously, number one, 
uh, verbiage that they would have used back in the 1600s, but it's still right here in the text. And he said, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, it's in the context that Paul is talking to some of the church of Corinth about liberty versus conscience, you know, uh, those I'm going to call them gray areas. That's the only word I know. But they're gray areas that either you have a liberty to do it or you're convicted not to, and you shouldn't because that'd be sin. If you have your liberty, then let you do it. You know, just those gray areas, whatever you want to call it. He's talking about that. So, and, and they were dealing with drinks and eats and to idols and things. And, and so he says, therefore, therefore, because of what I've been talking to you about, Church of Corinth, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. In other words, there's more gray areas than just, Drink, eat, and drink, Corinthians, that you're dealing with right now, that you're squabbling over and you're probably abusing. He says, there's a lot more to it because he says, whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. So I, I wrote down three categories of what we do. And in that doing, it reflects either selfishness or it's about God. It's either about me or it's about God, right? And I wrote this down when he says, Whatever you do, he's talking about in your common practices. For instance, when I leave here, I'm going to back up. I'm going to pull around. Eventually, I'm going to hit 412. And most, some of the way, I can't remember. I think it's just all 65 all the way. But the moment you get the other side of Catoosa, it, it's still 65. But when you get to Inova, it's 70 heading into Shoto. But this is commonly what people do. As soon as they get past that Cherokee Casino, man, they're hitting 70, 75, and you've got 44. You've got the, you know, all these. It's a dysfunction junction, right? Well, that's their common practice. It may be 65, but I'm going 70 because it'll be 70 another 12 miles. That wouldn't glorify God, would it? I mean, I'm just saying in that common practice. I mean, so, so he's saying everything you do, one of the things I tried to, rem to remind the, the little church I had before, and I'll remind you, is that obviously we are in an act of worship right now because we, we, we know they had two prayers, and we'll have some more prayer here in a little bit, right? That's definitely an act of worship. We sang two songs. We even took offerings so it could be an act of worship. We're coming to God's word to be an act of worship, to hear what God has to say. But guess what? When I leave these four walls, I'm still in an act of worship before God. Maybe not before your eyeballs, but before God, I'm in an act of worship. However I drive, however I treat David when, when he says, can you lock it for me? You know, if I treat him disrespectful, or, you know, well, that would be, an act, that would be an act before God of worship. That's not, it'd all be about me, right? So when it says, in everything you do, glorify God, and you think about, what does it mean to glorify God? Well, it means anything that, that fulfills God's purpose. That's how you would glorify God, how you treat people. And that's why I wrote down, in your common practices, in your cognitive attitudes towards others, in your compassionate service to others. Those are some things we do, the things that we either practice with our hands, things that we're thinking, you know, whether it be prejudices or, or something like that, attitudes, and just the way you serve people. The way you serve your wife is an act of worship that reflects, okay, am I, am I treating her in the way that would glorify God or am I fulfilling my purpose right now? You know, selfishness. And so that's kind of the opposite. If, if we're acting selfless or selfish, then how can we be glorifying God versus surrender to what he wants? 
surrendered to his purpose. That is how we, in everything we are doing, whether it's in action of practices, uh, cognitive attitudes of what we're pondering and what we're meditating on or how we compassionately serve, that's how we glorify God. By, in those areas, finding out how would this best fit God's purpose. Okay? So we're to glorify God in all that we do. And, and, and there is a Greek word for all. You know what it is, Deborah? All. I don't know how to pronounce it. The point is, I don't know Greek. But I know English. And it says, in all things. And we're going to find another reference here in a little bit that talks about all things. And now all of a sudden, you're going to see the tie-in from purpose to God's glory. God's purpose and God's glory is going to be tied in together. And it's talking about all things again here in a little bit. One of the references that I'm going to give you here in a little bit. But he says, in our common practices, that is everything we do, in our cognitive attitudes, everything we think, you know, ponder on, meditate on, how we think, attitudes, and in our compassionate service, we're to do for the glory of God, to fulfill his purpose, not ours. And, you know, that's hard to do. Um, we live in a human world, and being an American, every four years or every two years, we can do what? Pull the lever, make our choice, right? You know, fuck our choice for people. Maybe our guy, our guy gets in, maybe they don't. So sometimes we, we think, well, see there, I can make decisions there, so there. And it's all about us. Well, what we're going to find out here in a little bit is when we're glorifying God, when we're fulfilling his purpose, when we're seeking his purpose through uh, actions, attitudes, and, of course, the way we serve other people, it will reflect us finding, seeking out, and being satisfied with what pleases him, his purpose. And one of the things I had to learn in ministry along, uh, <clears throat> along the way to seek God's will, not mine. Because listen, um, when I first went to Valley View, it was bivocational. I was a computer-aided drafter. I was working in a shop at the same time right there in North Tulsa. And, uh, of course, I, I grew up in North Tulsa, but I, and I knew North Tulsa had changed over the years. But I just assumed I'm going to come in there with my little translated sermons and with my ideas on outreach and my ideas on this and my ideas on that. And, and they were a functioning body, and they were a good body. Me and Betty were talking about that today, just the, the good old days. You know, we were doing the drugstore cowboy talk. And I asked her, I said, how did you meet Bill? She said, at a Christmas party. And she didn't say anything else. I was like, no details? Then she asked me how I met Karen. And of course, you know me. I just gave every detail according to Steve's paraphrase. But anyway, so I give her every detail. But listen, I, I learned uh, there. Uh, I just assumed, okay, I'm going to be there six months. And they're just going to be busting out the walls. We're going to grow. I mean, everybody in North Tulsa is just going to love me and love what I'm preaching. And guess what? Two and a half years later before I... I moved on to finally get my full time in Western Kentucky. We might have grown two or three, maybe 12 or something like that. But you know what? It was still a healthy fellowship. And then I began to realize, okay, hmm, okay. I'm responsible for the depth, and God will take care of the, the width, you know, that kind of stuff. In other words, I might want to be aware of nickels and noses, but that ain't what's going to drive me. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of preachers, they see noses and nickels, and that's what drives where they go in here. 
to either manipulate people or to appease people or, you know, I'm saying. And, and I realize, okay, I got to be aware of those things because we got a pair of bills. We'd like to know who is here, who's not here, who's sick and who's not sick. Noses and nickels have their place. But, but I'm not there to build a church. I'm there to glorify God, to fulfill his purpose, not mine. As I told you, I think it was Sunday night, Jeremiah got his call. He got a call to the nation Israel. That's a pretty big congregation. A little bit bigger than what I got right now. You know, just a little bit, right? Millions of people. And just remember what God told him? I'm going to call you to preach righteousness and repentance to the nation Israel. And by the way, your ministry will be like talking to a Flintstone. And I'm not talking about Fred, you know, yabba-dabba-doo. A hard rock. It'll just bounce off the wall. That's why he was the weeping prophet. His heart was broke. He knew what he was saying was right. He knew they needed to, to turn from idolatry. He kept telling them, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. If you do this, this is what will happen. Please stop, stop, stop. Over and over and over and over again. And he detailed, detailed, detailed. This is what you're doing. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And it's like it just fell on deaf ears. Was he a successful preacher? Absolutely. Because he was a faithful preacher. I had a little church in Kentucky. And we went from about 45 to about 70 in six months. I'd visit people in Nevisville, Indiana at the hospital. There was hospitals up there. and Just all kinds of stuff. A little town of 700. Yahoo! Basket, Kentucky, you know. And uh, so we were growing. And then all of a sudden, uh, I used to, I'd have these business meetings. Of course, I wasn't privy to get, I wasn't even allowed to go on like, like that meeting today to know where we're at or anything. I was just kind of give an agenda, and I'm the moderator, and I began to realize, but I, I ain't, I mean, I told Karen a long time ago, I'm not the sharpest marble, but I am in the bag, okay? I am in the bag. And I began to notice, you know, when I got there, XYZ was coming in pretty regular every month. And I know what they paid me, because I negotiated that, and then they gave me a housing, and then I think they paid some medical and something else. Well, after about six months, I began to notice the giving was down, but I'm thinking, well, if we started with 45 and now we got 70, even if those extra 25 aren't giving, what changed? Well, six months into it, that's when I began to visit this little old lady that they finally told me she was a member there for 50 years and I didn't know she existed. You know, I had the mind reading pills. I was supposed to know she was around the corner from the parsonage, but I would visit her every week. And she'd say, Pastor? She said, uh, have they deacons? Have them, have them deacons been telling you how to preach? I said, yes, ma'am. I said, that comes with the territory. She goes, that's step number one, and I'm just kind of clueless. Okay, I'm eating my bologna and corn cream with her, cream corn. Pretty soon she goes, you want to know step number two? I said, what? You know, I, like step number one just went over my head. I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, I can tell you what step number two is. And this was six months into it. I'm noticing this. I haven't really asked any questions. I'm seeing giving going down, but the numbers are going up people-wise. She said, they'll start holding back their tithe. Well, the light came on. And, of course, I'm still stupid and naive, David. And I go, well, why would they do that? <laughs> she goes, they're going to starve you out. Oh, I'm thinking, I'm living in their house. They're paying my salary. They're paying for my medical. Karen's pregnant with our third child. <clears throat> she's already on bed rest, so she's not working anymore. Um, I'm driving a 1974 Dodge Dart that I bought from Goldie. Uh, Goldie Martin, who was a member at Valley View back in the day, you know, and this is 1999, which is fine. It was a nice little slant six. It was 
it was like Prestone Green with a white vinyl top. I mean, Prestone Green. And my daughter called it the Green Gator. So I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do? And, I, and, I, and on top of it, I'm thinking, and I am so many hundreds of miles from home where I know I can get a computer-aided drafting job. Can't get a, I mean, there's, it's all new. Western Kentucky was really no different weather-wise than here in Oklahoma. But I'm going to tell you what, it was a different world. Because if that Highway 60 said it was going east, it didn't always go east, brother. Sometimes it went north and south and, and into Owensboro and stuff like that. So anyways, we, we were in a tight spot, and I thought, what am I going to do? Well, long story short, the third step is, is once they starve you out, then you know, obviously you're going to have to resign. And, of course, the next Dinkins meeting, by the way, Pastor, we know we, we offered X, Y, Z, and because you began doing the music, we added, we added an extra $75 a week to that. But now we need to take this extra 75 back and another $100 back because we can't afford it. Giving is down. And, by the way, Dan's not going to mow the two-and-a-half-acre parsonage anymore. You're going to have to mow that. And there it is in the middle of July, and i gotta, I got to get a... 20-inch lawnmower tuned up just so I can mow two and a half acres. And I mean, there was nothing on there but a house and a tree. I'm just thinking, man, I'm in a spot. But I had to remind myself, why am I here? I'm here for the glory of God and to enjoy Him forever. So obviously it doesn't mean I didn't negotiate or tell Him, hey, I can go buy a vocation or whatever you need and everything. But I just kept preaching and kept preaching and kept preaching. And one of the guys said in my deacon's meeting, nobody's going to get saved under your preaching. I said, well, I, said, I, I don't expect them to. I'm just going to preach the word. And that particular Sunday, we were in Malachi chapter 3, talking about tithing of all things. And I just gave the analogy, this is what God's asking you all, and just think about how much he gave to us. And I made an invitation. And a guy that I've been visiting for nine months every Monday with a guy named Doug, who they used to call drug because he was a druggie, me and him went to that guy for nine months. Now, he had been a member of that church for three years, or apparently professed Christ, but when that last pastor left, he left. We visited him for nine months, just talked to him, loved on him, prayed with him, answered his question from the Bible. He walks down the aisle. He's weeping. I said, what is it? I need to get saved. And I'm preaching on tithing, but I'm just giving the analogy, but look what Jesus gave to us. That's all I was doing. And that was the Sunday right after someone just told me, nobody gets saved on your preaching. Well, and I had a guy one time, what's your agenda? I don't have an agenda. Preach the word wherever God leads me. Because I'm here for the glory of God. And I had to check, check myself for my common practices, my cognitive attitudes. Am I here to glorify God or is it about Steve? This is about Steve defending himself and protecting his family. Yes, but it's ultimately for the glory of God. And I had to say, okay, I still have to get compassionate service to those that I know are playing the game. And so what we practice, what we ponder, what we proclaim for the glory of God reveals our behavior, our motives, and our devotion to God. However, what we practice and ponder and proclaim for our own promotion, our own agenda, reveals behavior and motives and devotion to self to self that's the opposite you're not seeking god's purpose you're not seeking god's pleasure you're not seeking god's glory in whatever it is you're either saying doing or thinking it's more about me and 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 you know you think about the tower of babel is the best example i can think of <clears throat> their original idea was a good idea let's build a tower to god 
Now, can you see me Sunday morning? This is my vision. Calvary Baptist, we're going to build a, a church, an extra church, an extra building. We're going to reach God. Woo! You know? But yet the next thing in the text says, because they want to have a name for themselves. So they weren't doing it. For, they weren't building the... If they were till, now, if they were just building the Tower of Babel to reach God, that'd be one thing, wouldn't it? But their motive was revealed because we want to have a name. We want to have a reputation. That's not for the glory of God. That's not for God's purpose. That was about them. And any time one of us or all of us want to do something for God, but it's ultimately so we can have a reputation or it's about our reputation, then guess what? Either eventually, even if we build it, it's going to crumble someday because it's just wood, hay, and stubble. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, the longer we think we're going to build something for ourselves, guess what? God will confuse you and he will scatter you. Is what he'll do because you're not and I'm not doing it for the glory of God that's my best example of what it means to that our our highest purpose towards God is to glorify him and enjoy him forever so that's step number one we ask ourselves a question this is the test when we're doing something we say for God is it about what I want or what God has already provided or where God is leading if it's about what Steve wants it might be a good want it might be a good desire but if it's all about what Steve wants guess what it's either going to crumble someday or it'll be scattered because you know what it wasn't whatever it was was not for the glory of God it wasn't for his purpose it wasn't for his reputation and that's one of the things I learned in Kentucky and in the very next church in Inola that it wasn't about my reputation. It wasn't about what was happening to my family. It was what was happening to the church and what was happening to the glory of God through all this drama and through all this uh, selfishness. They were building something for themselves. One got the church in, in, in uh, I know that we had a metal building. It was fine. It was a good, good facility for however they adapted it. And he said, Pastor, we need to make some changes. I said, okay. I said, what would you like to do? We need to do outreach. I said, all right. I said, this is a thought, gentlemen. They had a quote-unquote elder-led. It was kind of different. But anyways, I said, this is the thought. You know, I'm going to throw out this to you guys. I said, on Wednesday nights, we have me, you two men, and you two wives come up here on Wednesday night. How about, instead of the women coming up here cleaning the church on Sunday morning before Sunday school and Sunday church and Sunday night, why don't you have them people come up here to clean on Wednesday night and us men will go out and knock on doors because that's what they wanted to do. You know what their comment was, Ken? Uh, what, what would we do if the people come on Wednesday night? I said, they're not here. We're just, if you want to do something different, we've got to do something different. I said, you know, that's what we can do. I said, because you all work, that's when you're here, so we can do that. And then he said, no, no, well, let's not do that. What we need is a steeple. You're an old fabricator, Steve. Make us a steeple. I said, well, I need a brake machine. I need a shear machine. I need a shop. I need metal. Well, you can figure that out, Steve. Okay. But in their minds, if we put a steeple up there, people will come. That was their, like a marketing, you know. Well, well, it's a church. But I said, well, let's go, you know, just, but they didn't, they were building something for themselves. And when I did leave after nine months, I reminded them that they were a Southern Baptist church. 
And I said, so if you're going to be a Southern Baptist church, I would recommend you get a copy of the Baptist Faith and Message for 50 cents. I said, I recommend you read it because that's what it was. They were always arguing about whatever doctrine I was preaching from the Bible that we essentially believed as Southern Baptist. But you know what happened? One day I was headed to my church in Wagner. I was going down 33. And I noticed that little church door was open. I thought, oh. So I went to lock, shut it because I remember it used to have that funky little lock. It wouldn't shut. And just inside that foyer, you know what they had? A stack of Baptist faith and messages. They, they actually took my advice. Now, they disbanded within six months because they just couldn't figure out how to follow leadership. They had hired me to be the deacon servant, and the deacons wanted to lead. And I told them that. I said, no, we've reversed roles here. I'm still going to serve, but I need to lead. I'm the overseer. You're the servant. And together we work together. They had a lot of things backwards because they didn't understand the Bible. They weren't doing it for the glory of God. They were not doing it for his purpose. And because of that, it crumbled and they scattered. It caused confusion. Even in the community there, and I know they, people are like, what happened? I said, I don't know. And to this day, people still ask me, what about that Abundant Life Baptist? I, I don't know. I don't know. We're to do things for the glory of God, and we're to enjoy him forever. Look at Psalm 73 with me. Psalm 73. We do things for the glory of God, and we enjoy him forever. And check this out. If you and I aren't doing something, either by our actions, our practices, our attitudes, or service, if we're not doing it for the glory of God, how can you enjoy it? Because you're doing it for your own, my own selfish purpose, right? And, and it only has so much satisfaction. But when we're doing something for the glory of God, and God just shows up, it's pretty satisfying, pretty enjoyable, isn't it? I've told several of y'all, I'm going to tell you again, because some of y'all I didn't get to tell, when I was sitting there Sunday night and my wife saw Shay come in, my wife is quiet. She says, Steve, Shay's here. I mean, she said it loud. I mean, my whole table was like, well, Karen talks. She was so happy Shay was here. So we got home that night. I said, what was that all about? She said, when I was seven years old, I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas. That was 1969 in the middle of integration, right? And she had a little black girlfriend at school that she invited to her house her birthday party and that little black girl showed up she said I screamed that day too she said that's how I felt when she walked in that door but I'm going to tell you how excited your pastor got and I've told you before and I may cry a little bit I don't know I walk up there and I'm thinking okay Shay's here and the two kids are, oh well, there's more than I thought there would be and I, oh there's a plate here a plate. and I'm trying to figure it out because that's how I'm supposed to do all the time right just, Pastor Steve Pastor Steve what do we do I didn't have to worry about it I turned around and you were, you already had a table, I saw napkins on the table. And when I went by Tuesday, Shay's last day at old time, she was taking a smoke break, so I'm talking with her smoke break. So I'm sorry, I said, it's okay. She was excited. And she told me she starts at Chili's, I think next Monday when they start to get open. And this is what she told me. I said, well, what about weekends? She goes, as a waitress, I only work when my kids are in school. So she's off every weekend. And she said, we plan on being there Sunday morning. So I made sure Crystal and Valerie knew in case the kids show up. And uh, I don't know, that was it? Uh, the brother's name again, Jonathan. He was eating while he was getting his food. And when he was leaving, he was still eating. That kid was eating. He was hungry. And you fed him. You made him feel like he was loved. He told me up there when I was up there while he was filling his plate, 
I said, well, Jonathan, I said, how do you like that food so far? He goes, he goes it's good. He says, you know, and he said it real quiet. He goes, I always wanted to come here. I was kind of afraid to go in. And I know what he meant. He's different. Looks different than us. And I said, well, you don't have to be afraid anymore, brother. I said, we may not always have food. I said, but you're always welcome. So because I was just dropping off a card, make sure she knew she was invited for the glory of God. I didn't have any alternative motives because I didn't even assume she would be there other than she said she might. You see what I'm saying? All that happened in just that little scheme of five days was for the glory of God, and God got the glory for that. Not you, not me. I mean, we, we get a pat on the back because we were part of that equation, right? I mean, someone had to set the table. Someone had to give her a card and a decent tip. But you know what? She didn't have to come, but God moved to at least, at, at worst case scenario, God has moved in that little lady's heart to bring her mom, her two kids, her nephew, and her brother. And, and worst case scenario, they have been loved on there and fed and know that they're welcome here. And they may never come back. That would be worst case scenario. But what we just did was for the glory of God. Now, I know I'm giving credit to you and everything, but I'm just trying to let you know. I, it just it, it made my day because you had no alternative motive. You just want to be kind in your common practices, in your cognitive, cognitive attitudes, in your compassionate service. You said this is for the glory of God. I mean, they're hungry too, but this is for the glory of God. And therefore, it will last. And therefore, it's enjoyable. So the, the point is, is if we're not doing something for the glory of God, we're doing it for Steve's purpose or Steve's glory, then guess what? It's either going to crumble or it's going to be scattered. It'll be nothing after a while. But yet when we do things through our attitudes, or our actions, and our service to the glory of God, we will have a sense of enjoyment from it, a sense of fulfillment, a leaping in our heart. And so I want you to look at Psalm 33, verse 25 through 28. And remember, the answer is, what is mankind's highest purpose towards God? Mankind's highest purpose towards God is to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. Yes, sir. Psalm 20, uh, did I say 23? Psalm 73, thank you, brother. Psalm 73, verse 25, 28. And feel free to do that to me at any time because I tell you what, when my little train wheels get to going, I just think I can. I think I can, and then I mess up. So, well, if you did it on a Sunday morning, well, trust me, it would not embarrass me. I would say, "What, Ken? What? What is it?" Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then I do a little rooster walk, and everybody just forget everything. Psalm 73, verse 25 through 28. I've got it marked here myself. Verse 25: Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for holotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all his works. It sounds like to me that he's really enjoying the fact that he has God. God here with, that lives in heaven and right here on earth, he's enjoying the fact that, that, that God is good and he's going to draw near to God. He's putting his trust in God and he's declaring the works of God. He's enjoying God. Why? Because everything he's doing 
is for the glory of God. And because he's doing what's for the glory of God, he can enjoy God now and forever. A lot of people believe you get saved and someday you can enjoy God in the forever. I'm telling you, you get saved, you begin to enjoy God now if you're doing things for the glory of God. And that's what that catechism is leading to is that our highest purpose, our chief end as mankind towards God who is the preeminent one is to glorify him in our daily practices, our, our attitudes, and our service. And as we glorify him for the right reason, that is for his purpose, then it's real easy to enjoy God because when God does something, it's very satisfying and it's very lasting. But if we're doing something for us only, uh, he says there... He says there, verse 25 again, whom, I, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I, decide, that I desire besides you. I love my wife. The last few days when I'm coming home in the evening, we're just talking about stuff. I'm telling her, how valuable she is. She's getting a little down on the job search and everything. I'm just encouraging her, reminding her, hey, we're in this together and everything. I love and I desire my wife, but but the only reason I can do that is because I really desire God. I think you referred to that Sunday morning. How can I love my wife if I don't really know how to love God or be loved by God? And And so he's not saying there that upon this earth there's nobody that he would desire. But he's saying out of all the people here on earth, you are the one that I desire. I had a, had a preacher one time that was doing some marriage counsel with a couple, and they came to me to do the wedding. But they mentioned to me that God talked about how it was like a steer step. They said, he said, uh, there's your family, there's your country, and there's God, like a steer step. And they said, what do you think, Pastor? I said, I don't, I don't like that structure. You know why? Because sometimes them, you, know, you get to pay the bills, right? Well, God's down here. So I'm sorry about that, brother. I'll throw Kleenex at you. Uh, but I said, look, I look at it this way. Your job can be a spoke. I'm talking about a wheel, okay? And when I was a kid, I was a kid that put you know, the cards and the little uh, clothes, like, it's like you get a little Harley or something down there, a little Tasco bike. And my friend had a cool Schwinn, but mine was cooler. Mine was purple with a banana seat. But <clears throat> a wheel, and I'm going to get to why I'm telling about that bike, because I ran into a tree one time, and the spokes just went everywhere, everywhere. And me and him replaced it, believe it or not. We replaced that wheel down at Otasco. But there's a wheel here. This is the way I think of not so much importance as we was talking about stacking. I think of it as the most important. Here's your wheel. Here's your marriage spoke, your work spoke, bills spoke, I don't know, your health spoke. Just think of all the different spokes you've got in your life, bills, responsibilities, grandkids, whatever. They're all important, right? I mean, is Wren not important? Does that mean you don't like Robin? No, she's a spoke too, right? And, of course, you're a spoke. You've got to take care of yourself, right? But what happens to those spokes if they don't have a hub? God is the hub. He's the center of each one of them spokes. And if that hub ever gets wompy job, the spokes are going everywhere. It doesn't matter how important that spoke is if the hub ain't in the center holding it all together. And that's the way I look at it. And if we're doing, you know, whatever committee you're on, whatever ministry you're doing, whatever 
trivial task you're doing, whatever it may be, those things are important at that time, at that moment. And if you're doing them for the glory of God, the wheel stays together. And if you're doing it for the glory of God, you enjoy it. Because one time, uh, this girl, her name was Tracy Helms. She was three years younger than me. I think she had a couple of older brothers in the graduated in the 70s. They were highway patrolmen. She lived on that end of the park, that, that end of North Dogwood. I lived at the top. And I'd go down there to play with Tracy sometime. They had this huge tree. And she was kind of a goofball like me. She said, she goes, Steve, I think she's a teacher in Ulagon now. She said, Steve, I dare you to go to the top of that, of our block, ride your bike as fast as you can, and run straight into that tree. Well, you know what I did. I was a boy. Okay. I ran as fast as I could. And I mean, it's kind of a slow, I came down, and I hit that tree with this old Otasco bicycle that my dad, my grandpa probably bought me when I was seven years old. And by that time, I was probably about 13, so it was already six years old. No telling how many miles. I hit that tree, bounced off of it. Nothing happened to that bike. She goes, I bet you can't do it again. And what do you think Steve did? I did it again. And I hit it a second time. And it still didn't tear up my bike. So I got down there, hit it again. She goes, do it again. I said, I'm tired. But I, I was willing to take it. I was just tired. But when I did get home, though, it didn't do anything, but it kind of bent the rim a little bit. And so, you, you, know, you, can't, you know, you can't go pop no wheelies on that. It's kind of doing this stuff. So, so later on that evening, my dad gets home from, from uh, work, and I got the bike upside down. I'm using whatever wrenches I could find and stuff and trying to, because I didn't figure out what it was. He said, well, son, he said, uh, looks like you got a little, little flat spot here. He said, uh, did, did you hit a curb? I said, no, I didn't hit no curb, Dad. I don't run over curbs. Uh, and he gave this long list. I said, well, no, 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 no. He said, well, what'd you hit? I said, well, I hit a tree. He goes, you all right? I said, yeah, I did it twice, Dad. She dared me. <laughs> He's going to roll his eyes, you know. So me and my friend Matt, later on that week, went down to Otasco, got a new wheel and put it on, tire and everything. But, you know, if we're not doing it for the glory of God, I don't care how important that spoke is, it's just going to fall apart. Just like the Tower of Babel. It's either going to, Best case scenario, you can build it all you want to. It'll eventually crumble. It'll decay. Best case scenario, God's going to say, that ain't going to happen. Not for your glory. And he'll confuse us and scatter us. If that's what he has to take. Because nobody, but nobody, steals the glory of God. Because when they do, they will be found out. I'm going to lead you to two more verses. Turn to Proverbs 16. Just a few pages over there in your Bible. To the, turn to the left, Proverbs 16. We're going to look at verses 1 and 9 of Proverbs 16. And while you're turning to Proverbs 16, verse 1 and 9, I want to remind you, remember I said, in all things we do to the glory of God, right? All things we do to the glory of God. And in Romans 8, 28, it says, all things work together for your good, because we love God and we're what? Called according to his purpose. So all things are working out for our good because we love him and we're called according to his purpose to give him glory. Purpose and glory are kind of universal there concerning all things. And so look at Proverbs 16, verse 1, and then we'll look at verse 9. The preparations of the heart belong to man. So there's nothing wrong with preparing and planning, right? 
I mean, if I told you we're all going on a camping trip and I, uh, the, all the guys are going on a camping trip and I'm paying for it and all the girls are going on a cruise and Karen's paying for it and we're planning everything, you're going to expect me or Karen to have something planned like food, uh, whatever, right? Nothing wrong with having plans. The preparation of the heart belonged to man or the plans belonged to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. I can plan all I want to with this spoke, but because God is in the center of it, it's going to work out to his purpose, his pleasure. If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm planning my spoke based off his glory, right? According to his purpose. Look at verse 9 with me in chapter 16. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I was telling, um, I think it was Deb, I don't know, I was Betty today. She said, how did you find us? I said, well, I saw an ad in the Baptist Messenger, and I said, I didn't answer for two months. I was like, no, I'm 40 miles away. It ain't going to happen. So I just moved on. Continued to do my hospice. It wouldn't go full time. Continued to do the little church. And finally, that third month, I was like, well, it ain't going to hurt to send a resume. So I shot an email. Now, as I shot that email and someone responded, probably Jill, I said, thank you very much. But I'm going to tell you something. The whole time of this whole process, it wasn't like the other churches. I got to have this church. I want this church. It was just, if they consider me, it's fine. If they consider me, it's, it's okay. If they don't consider me, it's okay. If I get an opportunity to preach, I'll glorify God. Because by that time in my ministry, I'm like, I might be in my last stand, Custard's last stand in Midway Baptist Church. I might be in my last stand. I'm 61 years old, and I'm like, you know, it is what it is. I've got a good hospice job. I've got a, got a decent, you know, it's a decent church, and they love me, and, and we're doing fine. We grew from nine people to now 17 in a little over a year. I mean, we're doing pretty good for a little rural church. <coughs> I didn't worry about it. <laughs> And that's why when I came there that Saturday, when I came here this su that Sunday morning, that Sunday night, I told you, worst case scenario, you don't vote me in, so be it. But we're going to glorify God. We're gonna, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to minister the word of God to you. Because I didn't have an agenda other than I had an opportunity to preach the gospel to different people. That was my only goal. And I knew what the threshold was, 75%. Off the, so when he said, well, that's pretty low. I said, well, that's, I'm just telling you, that's what, they, what it is. And by Sunday night, I kind of got the impression I might beat that fret threshold. I thought, well, I'll probably get 81 or 82. And when I, when I was told 94, that girl just accepted to go to the prom with me, kind of feeling came over. I mean, it just blows my mind. But what I didn't know is what David pointed out to me. He said, dude, you were doing things that were blowing our minds. Because I didn't know things over here that I was saying over here and vice versa. And I think it happened that way because wherever I was standing and wherever you were sitting, we were just here for the glory of God no matter what happens. We're going to enjoy each other. We're going to get to, if anything, I think I even told Brian one time on the phone when they were talking to me, I said, well, if anything, I got some new friends. I know they're on the same page, the same like mind. I got some new friends, you know, that I can call and send a crazy text to at midnight or something. But when you're doing things for the glory of God, it always fulfills his purpose, and therefore good comes to us because we love him. And so I think of it this way, that when God is working out all things for our good, 
and it fulfills his purpose, three things are happening when it's working itself out. And you need to think about this just before we go and pray in our groups because you're going to be praying about something to happen or what you're requesting or what you're desiring or what maybe God wants. This is how God works out all things for our good. God has his perfect will, like thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, uh, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his perfect will. That's black print on white paper. It ain't going to change. It can't change. There is his perfect will. But in the midst of all that, we make choices, don't we? So there's his permissive will. And along with his perfect will and his permissive will where he's allowing certain things, he is performing his providential will. He's working things in his secret counsels. So between God's perfect will, his permissive will as we do things, and God working those secret counsels, his providential will, he works together all things for our good because we're, we love him and we're called according to his glory, his purpose. So until we understand, yes, there is the perfect will, and, of course, God allows a permissive will. I mean, he's a sovereign God. He can handle that, right? Because in the midst of all that permissive will, whether it's evil or just ignorance or whatever, he's working providentially. I didn't know Betty was here. But once she found out I was here, she began to blab about me, right? And I don't mean that in a bad way. I met Saturday night, mentioned the guy that saved me. Someone came to me, I know that preacher. Well, they begin to talk. When I visited Linda Tuesday at Sherwood Manor, I had been doing a Bible study there two years ago for six months around another hospice. I remembered Linda when I saw her. I was, oh, Linda! And what I had remembered, I told him tonight, when I would have these Bible studies, I would, I would, they would have me sit on a couch and I'd sing three hymns and I'd maybe do a study in the book of Psalms. These people just gather around me like I was a little Jesus, you know, and telling stories. But I would always shake their hand when I was done. And every time I would go to Linda, I remember now, and me and her talked about it uh, Tuesday. She would always say, pray for me and pray for my church, Calvary Baptist. So a year and a half ago, two years ago, I was praying for Calvary Baptist, not knowing. I'll be standing here today being your pastor. I'm just saying, God has his perfect will. I'm doing my permissive thing. You're doing your permissive thing. Things are happening here. Things are happening in my life. Karen's getting laid off. It's drama. We didn't know what to do. Our son goes off in the, and everything. And our daughter, and just all things happen. But in the midst of all that and the perfect will, God's providentially working. And I go, send. Because I just felt like, well, what, what are they going to do? Fire me if I send in resume? They're just going to say, we're not interested. Because I'd had that for 36 years of ministry, and that's okay. So as we think about what we're doing here tonight and just doing here as a church, we are here. Our greatest purpose, our highest response to knowing that God is the most high and preeminent one, our greatest response is, is that in our common everyday practices, in our cognitive thinking and attitudes, and in our compassionate service, we are geared to say, they need to say, this is for God's purpose. This is for God's glory, not mine. And when we do that, then we're going to enjoy. Because in the midst of his perfect will, permissive will, and his providential will, he's going to bring it all together for our good. 
our good. Our good. How he defines it according to his purpose. Not mine, not yours. And until we understand that, then it's going to be hard sometimes to do things for the glory of God and not what Steve wants. And therefore, it's going to be hard to enjoy the ride, as we would say. And we're all going to fail in those areas off and on because guess what? You're flesh, I'm flesh. Uh, I get an attitude, he gets an attitude or whatever. But in those daily practices, in those cognitive times of attitudes and in those times of just compassionate ministry, as simple as setting up a table, putting napkins and saying, hey, here's just some food and then going over visiting. In those little things, as we do things for God's glory, we're going to enjoy ourselves along the ride. And we're going to enjoy him forever. And I think right now we go to prayer requests, correct? Do we? Do I need to hand you this, young lady? Okay, apologize. So is there any prayer requests that uh, Robin can jot down? Now someone said something about Crystal being sick too. That's right, she had to work late. That's right, she had to work late. That's okay. I, I, that was a rumor I heard, brother. <laughs> 